Tootsies. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim. And we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases. Of Moida, ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Debunking. Allegedly uh, debunking. It's allegedly <laughs> debunking. There'll be a little bit of debunking tonight. Um, not not as much as as a normal Kim, partially because we have more questions than answers. Kim has With, questions. I have questions. Um, <laughs> I have questions. She always has questions, guys. That's yes. <laughs> My poor parents. Uh, no, well, today I am going to be talking about a murder. Moida. Moida. But it is an unsolved murder. Dun, dun, dun. It reminded me a little uh, of the Paula Jean Weldon case we covered on a previous episode. The young college student that disappeared in Vermont while hiking back oh, in yeah. 1946. Yeah. Not, not because the cases themselves are, are similar per se, but in each case you had such a shocking lack of evidence and leads. Evidence. Evidence. And I, I do think it's important to bring attention to these cold cases. Honestly, you never know when something is going to ring a bell with someone. That's true. I mean, stuff's been popping up all over the place oh, lately. All over. It's it's really bonkers. Uh, in fact, on Patreon, we're going to have an update to one of Ooh. our previous episodes. Ooh. Ooh, shameless plug Ooh, so for our Patreon account. Um, no, today we're going to be talking about the Lady in the Dunes. The Lady in the Dunes. So Provincetown, Massachusetts. It's a seaside town in Cape Cod. Uh, have you ever been? I've not, but I've been dying to go to the East Coast and check it out. I love all the architecture. It's really cool. I've been to Martha's Vineyard a handful of times. I've not been to, to Provincetown, uh, but I would love to go. It's uh, it's very much a beach town. It's located on the tip of the Cape. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those towns like the 2020 census has a year-round population of 3,664. But the summer population can peak at 60,000 people. Oh, dang. Yeah. So it's it's a tourist town. It's a summer town. You have your, your small group of locals who live there year-round. And then you have all of these people come who have their their summer homes or, or whatever. On July 26th of 1974, a young girl, Leslie Metcalf, and her family, they'd spent the day on the beaches. They were out at the shacks. Uh, and the dune shacks, uh, this was actually really interesting. So the dune shacks, they've been around for over a century. They were originally intended for people who were watching the ships, uh -huh. like watching for a ship to come in. They'd be like, no. Don't get beached. Uh, but at some point in the 70s, they were turned into artist studios primarily. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nothing fancy. There was no indoor plumbing or electricity. Oh. But, you know, like, it'd be kind of cool be an artist in the 70s, have your little little shack in the beach right there. Is that where the song Love Shack came from? God, who knows? <laughs> um, so Leslie, now her age is listed sometimes as 12 and sometimes as 13, depending on the source. But she was a tween, early teenage girl. They were visiting a local artist, and she decides to go walking with the dogs. So the dogs pick up a scent. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's never good. Uh, Metcalf's sister would later say of the moment, the dog kind of started barking at something as they were hiking across. So my sister went to follow and see what the dog was barking at. That's when she found the body. Oh, no. Now, Leslie's initial reaction when she first saw it, she thought it was a deer because oh the God. color, well, the color of the skin kind of resembled a deer, I guess, but it, it was not. It was the body of a young woman. Oh, no. The woman was nude. She was lying on her stomach on a green towel. Both of her hands had been hacked off at the <gasps> wrists. Ooh. Yeah. And, and jammed into the sand, almost like she was in kind of a push-up position. Oh, my gosh. Her hands were not nearby, and they would actually never be found. Uh-oh. Even to this day, they have not been found. Oh, no. And strangely enough, there was a pile of pine needles at the end of each of her arms. That's weird. It's super weird, because they were deliberately put there. This is not something like, oh, the pine needles fell, and they just happened to encircle her, her wrists. No. Someone had deliberately placed these piles of pine needles where her hands should have been. That's such an interesting choice. 
It's a really interesting choice. Um, now, one side of her head was caved in. Yeesh. It appeared to have happened when she was lying down, either in sleep or possibly lying with a person next to her. Her head had been nearly severed from her body. And the body had obviously been there a while. Uh, In fact, some of the reports I read spoke to the large number of maggots. Oh, no. Already covering her body. She had a blue bandana tucked under her head, as well as a pair of blue Wrangler jeans folded up like a pillow. Uh Uh-huh. Her toenails were painted a bright bubblegum pink. Her hair was red or brownish red, pulled back into a ponytail. So understandably, Leslie ran back to her parents, told them what she had just seen. And this is, of course, our pre-cell phone days. Sure. Yeah. So you can't just, like, dial 911. The artist shacks, as I'd mentioned, had no phones. So the family traveled on foot to the National Seashore Park Ranger Station in order to inform authorities. Uh, Chief Ranger James Hankins. What a name. name. That's a great name. Hankins. Was the first official on the crime scene. He'd walk up the beach while he was waiting for the ambulance to come to collect the body. And something caught his attention. He noticed what appeared to be like large words or pictures that had been made in the sand and thought it was possibly a message from the killer. What? Really? Okay, well. (sighs) Uh Uh-oh, Kim has questions. So I didn't (laughs) say I wasn't going to, you know, debunk, like, none of it. Um, No, I have questions. So, one. Ooh, can I beat you to it? Yes, absolutely. Gabby, ask your questions. What are your questions, Gabby? Nature, wind, sand. Sure, yeah, yeah. Things blow and move. (laughs) Things do blow, Gabby. Tell me more about how things blow. (laughs) They blow out of your nose as you take a sip of something as I say things blow. Mm -hmm. Um, They do. But also, (laughs) lots of blowing. Um, Also, wind blows sand and can move patterns of sand around. Also, water can, ocean can. I don't know how high the tide was. Or like, I don't know, people walking through the area or animals walking through the area. Or, I mean, even people like, I don't know. I write my name in the sand when I'm at the beach, draw pictures. Other people can do it. Yeah, it's a really common thing to do. Plus... She was killed a bare minimum of over a week ago. Yeah, that not would not have lasted that long. No, and beach. as many potentially as three weeks ago. So unless the killer was, like, hanging around waiting for somebody to find it, nothing would still be left. And so I saw this reference in one of the books I read, um, and it, it didn't really give a great indicator as to his thought process <clears throat> behind thinking maybe it was connected. I kind of stand by coincidence. There were tire tracks, like a, a you know a little dune buggy or whatever that had sure. driven out there. But it, the way it was phrased didn't make it sound like that's what he was referring to. But maybe maybe it was, and it was just you know this isn't the kind of crime that they usually deal with. That's also so, a very fair point. I'm sure even for the ranger, this was kind of a an intense moment. Yeah. Now. For the body itself, there was no sign of a struggle. And despite the presence of blood, um, one of the theories was that whomever this woman was, she was not killed there. She was killed elsewhere and brought to where the body was found. Huh. Officer Warren Tobias would say she was definitely posed there. She was lying out on a beach towel as if she was sunbathing. Although it was hard to determine the exact age due to the advanced decay of the body. Thank That's you, fair. maggots. Yep. Barf. Barf. It was estimated she was between 25 to 40, uh, although most people agree she was probably not older than 35. She had an athletic build, was between 5'6 to 5'8, uh, her neck almost being severed led to it being hard to get an exact height. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. She weighed somewhere between 140 to 145 pounds. Based on the genes, she was a size 34 waist. And again, they suspected she had been dead from 10 days to three weeks. Woof. 
They thought that the tool that was used to strike the fatal blow as well as sever her hands was something called an entrenching tool. That's very specific. It's very specific. Uh, It was standard issue for anyone in the infantry, like soldiers who fought in World War II or Mm. Korea. And you can Google pictures of them. When I did, I was like, oh, yeah, this tool. Uh, At least some of the older ones I looked at, it's like a wooden handle and what sort of looks like a pick on one side and almost like a sideways shovel on the other I know what you're talking about. Yeah, like the shovel is almost bent 90 degrees. Yeah. So, I mean, you could do some damage with that. Yeah. There was also some signs of strangulation. But what's probably the most disturbing is that she appeared to have been sexually assaulted with a block of wood. Oh, no. Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. Now, the biggest clue to her identity was the extensive dental work that she appeared to have had done. It was something referred to as New York-style dental work. What does that mean? Okay, so now, as someone who lived in New York for about a decade, I had not heard that phrase before. (laughs) And I tried Googling that phrase. Um, Did not get a whole lot of answers. Now, in my defense, this was not something I lost sleep about and sat there trying to dig super, super deep. But what I did find is a user on Reddit. Oh, wonderful. Can't wait. I know. I I feel like I should be worried how much I keep ending up on Reddit these days with just random things. Uh, I'm going to credit this person who gave this response, and it was directly in response to this case. Someone else was asking, like, what is New York dentistry or New York-style dentistry? So worldly underscore performer 930 Answered the question for someone else. Take this with a grain of salt. And said, New York style dentistry is the use of parcels and crowns and sometimes fillers to give the illusion of a completely filled in and even smile. Think Steve Harvey. Nowadays, it's easier to just use veneers. Oh, dang. Uh, thank you, Reddit. Take that for what it is. Listeners, if you have any idea of what it is, feel free to write in or message us to let us know. What I could figure out from what was referenced in the articles, she had a lot of gold crowns. So, like, an abnormal amount. Huh. Um, in fact, the, the amount of work done and the numbers were all over the map. The numbers ranged from 3,000 to 10,000, depending on what article I was reading. Dang. But that's, in 1974? Yeah, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And that's significant. Yeah. Uh, that's the kind of thing a dentist would probably remember doing. Yeah. Or someone missing a family member would remember their family member having a lot of dental work like that. Also, according to a few accounts I read, some of her teeth had been removed. Oh, Which was also interesting because this appeared to have been something that the killer had done. This wasn't like... She did it. She did it. No. And had missing teeth. Like, her teeth were removed. But despite this very distinct dental work, thousands of dentists being sent this info, no one came forward recognizing it. Huh. That seems weird. It seems weird, particularly if you remember back to our... Uh, Lake Crescent case Mm. where her identity was discovered because a dentist recognized the work. Yeah. Teeth. And this was a significant number of decades before. So the killer was thought to have been male because of the strength that would have been needed to mutilate the body. Sure. Police chief Meads also thought that the killer knew the victim. Uh, One theory being maybe he took her out to sunbathe and then attacked her. About 15 feet from where the body was found, they found tire tracks and footprints leading away from the body, which appeared to be men's size 10. And I wonder if that's not what our ranger friend saw. Sure. Is the tire tracks and the footprints and got kind of confused about what it was he was seeing. Uh-huh. The beaches were thoroughly searched. Bloodhounds were used trying to track down other physical clues. They looked at vehicle permits, registries of hotels, other homes in the area were checked. Missing persons bulletins were examined. Nothing. Hmm. No leads anywhere. It was bad enough they consulted a psychic. Ooh, I love when they bring in a psychic. They brought in a psychic, a woman named Yolanda Bard, who was referred to as the queen of the psychics. 
Hell yeah. Uh, I tried to get a little more info on Yolana. She did write a number of books. Her daughter, fun fact, her daughter, also a psychic, has a website, uh, has a bunch of like clippings from things her mom did. Her mom, her mom has since passed away. Did I send her an email? Yes. Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> did I hear back from her? <gasps> did you? Yes. Ooh. Yes, I did. Uh, actually, so she got back to me within like 20 minutes of messaging no her. Way. What she said, I messaged her yesterday. What she said is, hi, Kim. I don't exactly remember what my mom said about the case. I know someone who might. I'll try to get in touch with him tomorrow. Now, I have not heard from this human. Mm-hmm. I have we not heard back from her. We might be doing a follow-up. It'll probably end up on our Patreon. But uh, stay tuned, folks, for possibly a few more details on our psychic. Love that deep dive. Well done. Well done, you know, friend. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> I appreciate that. I just really have to give you a... Thank you. Slow clap. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> so anyway, uh, according to Yolana, the woman was a nurse from Ottawa, Canada, mm-hmm. named either Marilyn or Carolyn O'Leary. Strangely... Another person had come forward referring to a missing woman, an American nurse named Carolyn O'Leary. Huh. Like different person saying maybe this is this is the woman who you found in the dunes. It was not. American Carolyn O'Leary still alive. <laughs> oh, she's yeah. still kicking. Okay. She's still kicking. So she's still got her. hands. But, I mean, I, I do appreciate, like, Chief Meads just being like, man, I'm trying everything. I, yeah. I, you know, I'm trying to do what I'm trying to do. All this was leading to a dead end. Chief Meads did remain convinced there was a connection to Canada. In fact, um, there was a New York Times article in 1983 uh, all about this case and did a pretty extensive interview with Chief Meads. He spoke about a man who had visited Provincetown from Canada a few years after the murder, a few years before this this interview was given in 83, asking if the case had been solved. And it was strange enough, it got reported. So Meads was trying really, really hard to find out this person's identity, but again, nothing ever came of it. He consulted with Interpol, looking into whether or not it was a mob killing. I want you to press save. On that tidbit about the mob killing. Ooh, Press I love that. when we include mob killings. We're going to be circling back to the idea that it could be a mob killing. Okay. Pausing in my brain. So the case goes cold. By October of 1974, they bury the body. Okay, they bury most of the body. Oh, no. <laughs> we still don't have the hands. So for decades. Oh, no, well... I wasn't even referring to the hands. For decades, Provincetown Police Chief Meads kept the skull of the (gasps) Lady of the Dunes on his desk because, well, he had, there was a rationale. He vowed he would not retire until her identity had been discovered. Please tell me this is a haunting story about her haunting him because his head, her head was on his desk forever. There, there was no. I, I actually specifically looked to see if there was a ghost story attached to this. There is, there is none. Uh, But he, he was quoted as saying, "It baffles me." Not necessarily who killed the young woman, but who she is. The lack of identity bugs me. I'm fascinated. Some family has to be missing a loved one somewhere, and they have never come forward, and that disturbs me. I think about that a lot. This was the only unsolved homicide that occurred during his 22-year tenure as police chief. Sadly, he did pass away in December of 2011. Oh, sad. There's been a lot of theories over the years, ranging from the credible to the, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Not so credible. Not so, well, I will say my favorite theory is one of the like, I'm sorry, what variety. I really want it to be true. <laughs> oh, please tell me what this is. Oh, we're, we're going to get there, but I'm Ooh. saving that one for last. Oh, torture. <laughs> okay. So the first theory relates to the removal of the hands. Uh, Whoever did this seemed to have some idea what they were doing. Uh, There was kind of two main ideas behind this. One could be concealing the identity because it could lead them to the killer if the identity of the killer was someone in this woman's life. So they didn't want her identity known because of that. 
Okay. Um, the other is just identifying the body, period. But in 1974, the average person would not have been fingerprinted. That makes if sense. If your fingerprints are in the system, the most likely explanation was that you were a criminal. Mm. Yeah. Sergeant Warren Tobias really grabbed onto this idea. He was quoted in an article in an issue of the Boston Sunday Globe as saying, I don't think she was a poor innocent. I think she was a bad guy. Which I kind of don't love categorizing a murder victim as a bad guy, but whatever. Um, He had a specific person in mind, though. A woman named Rory Jean Kessinger. That's a good name. It's a great name. Now, as a teenager, Rory Jean already had a record. By the age of 15, she was running away from home, ended up in Massachusetts. Accounts showed she got started on drugs and that she was running drugs and guns. She also robbed banks under five different aliases. Ooh, get it. Yeah. Uh, January of 1973, she was 24 years old when Lieutenant Willard Bolter, another great name, came across her and some others while dropping off a traffic violation notice to a home. Mm-hmm. So they panicked because there was a cop there and ran into the woods. So, you know, that's suspicious. He pursued. Rory Jean tripped, and so he was able to apprehend her. It should be noted she was wearing lingerie. Oh. Like you do. I run sure. through the woods in lingerie all the time. Ooh, uh, what a nice breeze you get when you do that. <laughs> so she says to him that she had just been sexually assaulted. Yeesh. So they get back to the house. Rory Jean then tries to grab his gun. After a bit of a tussle, she was able to get out of the room and grab her own gun. And she said to him, I'm sorry, but I have to kill you. Oh, Okay. He would later say of the experience, you would just not think that a nice-looking girl like that would kill you in a heartbeat. <laughs> Which is his folly. All nice-looking girls want to kill you. Oh, for sure. I just love that he said that. That's very funny. <laughs> she just looks so nice. I can't believe she'd want to kill you. What? That's that's your that's your Achilles right there. <laughs> what? Nice-looking girls who want to kill me? That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Um... He was able to get the gun away from her, handcuffed her, took her to the hospital. Now, she didn't learn her lesson the first time. Oh, no. At the hospital, she was able to get another officer's gun. Oh, no. Which also, y'all, y'all, come on, man. Like, what are you doing that you're putting your gun so close to this person? Well, uh, she yells, die, you expletive pig. I need, to, I need to qualify this. This quote is from that same Boston Globe article uh, from 1998. And they are the ones that have the expletive. That is not me making an editorial choice. Oh. I have no problem swearing. And I feel like we can all fill in the correct word right there. Do it. Do it. Oh, it's more fun for the people at oh, home to frick. pick. Okay, fine. That was probably not the word she used. <laughs> If I had to guess, Gabby, I'd say that's not the word she used. (laughs) What word could she have used? Once again, she is apprehended without hurting anyone, but she is officially charged with two counts of assault with the intent to murder. Dang. I mean, that's fair, though. Yeah, legit. Totally legit. She's sent to Plymouth jail, but before she could be put on trial, she would pull a full Bundy. Uh Uh-oh. Did she jump out a window? Almost. During the night of May 26th, 1973, she does escape. Someone had smuggled a hacksaw blade into the jail (gasps) and gave it to her. What? In what is not a Bugs Bunny cartoon, she hacked the bar off the window in the laundry room and using sheets she tied together. Oh my God, it's a cartoon. Squeezed herself through the hacked up bars and used the sheets to then climb down. I can't make this shit up. <laughs> That's wild. It's I it, it just feels like such a weird 
heist movie or some kind of strange 70s action film to see this, like, woman busting out of jail with a hacksaw and sheets. With the sheets all tied together. After being in lingerie and trying to, like, grab a cop's gun. I mean, there's so many beats to this where you're just like, (laughs) what? What? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Then the, the the theory is that someone possibly whomever it was that got her the hacksaw in the first place was waiting for her with a car and, and that she drove off into the sunset and was never seen again. With the hacksaw. With the hacksaw. So after a few years, some of the pieces started coming together. Kessinger would have been 25 years old in 1974. Sure. Her fingerprints would have definitely been in the system. Yep. She had multiple arrests in multiple states. The heights matched up. Pictures of her uh, do bear a resemblance to some of the reconstructed pictures of what the Lady of the Dunes might have looked like. Uh-huh. She would have been potentially in that general area. Sure. So in the late 90s, police used an investigator to track down Rory Jean's mother to see about obtaining a DNA sample. Okay. Which they did. Now, the body had already been exhumed once before in 1980. In 2000, it would be exhumed again to test against the sample from Rory Jean's mother. But this test proved that the body was not Rory Jean Kessinger. Damn. So we're back to the drawing board. Back to square one. Uh, Using the DNA evidence was also tricky. Her body was embalmed, and I was reading an article on this. One of the experts said, some extraction of DNA is not hurt by the embalming process, but others are. And it sounds like that has caused some problems with some of her DNA. Mm. Okay. Now, there have been other young women who have gone missing, believed to be the Lady of the Dunes. One was a young woman named Amy Billing. Mm -hmm. In March of 1974, Amy was 17 years old. She disappeared near her Coconut Grove home in Florida. Mm -hmm. She was hitchhiking to her father's art store, and she disappeared. Hitchhiking. Well... I mean, to be fair, it's the 70s. Everybody's hitchhiking. And it was a small... It blows my mind, though. Small community. My uncle once... Wait, this is a fun... This is a fun story. My uncle once, like, hitchhiked down the coast. It was probably the 70s. Because, you know, <laughs> he was the youngest and stupid. <laughs> I have no... I mean, I think he's the first to say that. Like, that's not a choice he would want his kids to make or his grandkids at this point. Fair. fair. Well, those grandkids are babies, so they really shouldn't be hitchhiking for other reasons. Hitchhiking babies. It's that's 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 a that's a whole other topic. That's a whole other topic. So yeah, they they think she was maybe abducted by bikers. Okay, but this specific theory doesn't really hold a ton of weight, at least not for me. It's a really really sad story. Um, sure, but Amy was a lot younger than the body appeared to be. She had more. Brown hair and brown eyes. The Lady of the Dunes had that more auburn or more auburn red hair. She also weighed 110 pounds, so she was much smaller. And she was 5'5". So in in general, just smaller. It doesn't match. It just doesn't match. Even given like, okay, yes, there was about a year between her abduction and when the body was found. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also the fact that in 1998... A deathbed confession of a member of the Pagan Motorcycle Gang. What? (laughs) Which was one of the gangs that was thought to maybe have abducted her. In fact, they had been questioned, I think, a few times. He admitted to abducting her, drugging her, sexually assaulting her. Oh, no. and, And ultimately, she died within hours of her abduction. And according to him, the body was dumped in the Florida Everglades to be consumed by... Gators. Gators, yeah. Oh, no. He confessed this to his wife before he died, and that included details consistent with her abduction. The case still officially remains open and unsolved, but I'd be shocked if if the Lady of the Dunes was her. Yeah. Another young woman, Elizabeth Swan, Uh, She went missing in July of 1974, July 1st of 1974. She was a 23-year-old woman, a single mother. She went missing in Birmingham. Now I want to clarify. Alabama? No. England. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's far. That's a little bit further away. Uh, She told some friends or her brother that she had a job in Gloucester and was hitchhiking. Hitchhiking is the 70s, man. Everybody was hitchhiking in the 70s. 
Like, it's really easy to look back and judge people being like, well, that's unsafe. But people didn't think the same way. It was a very different world. I know. My mom told me about some hitchhiking renegades she went on. And I was like, you're insane. Um, I tell some of my students about shit I did when I was younger. I've talked on this podcast, I think, <laughs> about j- going down to the Snoqualmie Falls, like jumping the fence with my teenage friends because we were dumbasses, and going down to the bottom of Snoqualmie Falls. We were not supposed to be doing that. Yeah, I think Terrence definitely did that at some point. Oh, yeah. No, if you lived in, and this is pre-9-11 world at that point. If if you lived in the area and you were a teenager, you definitely did that at least once. Yeah. Um, it was a different time. Like, you know, my mom used to throw us in the backyard during the day and be like, it's, you're not bleeding. Don't come until lunch. Like, it was a different time. True. Um, so so she disappeared on her way to this this job. And, and this is a stretch to me for a number of reasons. One, the argument made is that she was abducted and taken to the U.S. in some sort of like sex trafficking situation, mm-hmm. but was then killed shortly after. I think a more likely theory is that the serial killer, Fred West, who, with the help of his wife, Rose, killed at least 12 women from the late 60s until he was caught in 87. Um, He is a horror story of a human being that absolutely deserves his own episode at some point, so stay tuned for possible future coverage of that. Noted. But I, I think that's a much more likely scenario. He, he was in the area at that point. He abducted women in a very similar manner. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in England, so <laughs> it's already a one-up on, on things. Um, so I have to say pass for this theory for me. That's fair. And the thing is, is that I could go on yeah. like this. The sad fact of the matter is there are so many missing women that could possibly be her. Yeah. And nothing's ever panned out. So we're going to look in a different direction. Okay. Because we're not certain of her identity, but there have been a few suspects who have popped up for her murder. Okay. One is a man named Haddon Clark. I want to preface this by saying um, he is another figure who absolutely 100% deserves his own episode. This dude is messed up. Okay. But long story short, Haddon Irving Clark grew up in a wealthy but severely messed up family. His dad apparently invented, like, clear clinging plastic wrap and fire retardant carpeting. That's very oddly specific. It's very oddly specific. But he was a chemist. He was brilliant. And, and they, they had money, but they were messed up. Um, they were abusive alcoholics. And it sounds like of the four children, both himself and two of his other brothers would later be arrested for murders. So, you know. Trickle down effect. Good, good job, parents. Wait a second. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Well done, High you. Five. Well done. Good High job. Five. Good turn. Good turn. Cheerio. We're <laughs> uh, talking about the UK. This is, this is what happens to me. Good job. Being an alcoholic and ruining your children. Uh, they all grow up to be murderers. That's, man... It's bad rough, enough. Can man. we can we can we pause on this for a moment? If one of your kids, I can't imagine if one of your children grows up to be a murderer, what that would be like. Um, there's actually a great book slash movie called We Need to Talk About Kevin that kind of delves into this a little bit about a, a woman whose whose son grows up to 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 um, be a, a a mass killer at a school. Uh huh. Um, like one kid. That's that would I would have feels, but yeah. like. Three of your four children. You did some damage, guys. You did. That's when you're like, it's it's not necessarily it's them. It was you. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. They, they, you yeah. did it. Yeah. Um, but his mother would dress him up in girls' clothes. Y'all can't see the quotes I'm putting around girls' clothes, girls but they clothes. are there. She would also call him Kirsten. As a result of this, he would grow up to identify as a woman and would wear again women's clothing. Again, women's clothing throughout all of this is in heavy quotes. I mean, good for him. Good for him. As a young human, he tortured small animals. Oh, no. And he had a cruel streak. I mean, aside from the torturing of, of small animals. Um, <laughs> he, he bullied other kids and seemed to really delight in hurting them. Oh, that's always a bad sign. It's never, never a good sign. <laughs> nope. 
He grew up trained as a chef at the Culinary Institute of America, worked in classy restaurants, um, hotels, and even a cruise ship. But he struggled to keep down a job, and after joining the Navy, would finally be diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. At least he had his moment to get diagnosed. That's that's good for him. Sure. (laughs) Did not necessarily do him a whole lot of good. Uh, He settled in Maryland and was often homeless. Now, if we believe Clark, he started killing as a teen. But the first time we can confirm he killed someone was his six-year-old neighbor. He killed his six-year-old neighbor? Michelle Dorr on May 6th of 1986. Uh -uh. No, that's not okay. Oh, it's going to get worse. Oh, no. He stabbed her to death and drank her blood. What? Some reports say he cannibalized her. Um, it looks like it was blood drinking. I think that the cannibalizing seems like it was a more sensational claim. And that's Yikes. a sentence I just said. <laughs> it was just blood drinking. Well, just blood drinking NBD. Um. Uh, What's worse, though, is that he was not originally looked at as a suspect. Why? I don't know. They looked at, this, they looked at her dad as a suspect, and he disposed of the body. So you've got a little girl who disappears, and you actually family is who you look at first in that kind of situation. Sure, that makes sense. Because the majority of, of abductions and, and murders usually happen from people you know. That's true. That's true. So in 1992... Six years later, he murdered Laura Houtelling. I might be saying her name incorrectly, and I apologize. Um, she was the daughter of a woman who had given him a part-time job as a gardener. Uh-huh. Now, this time, he was arrested within days. Oh, good. He was arrested and ultimately charged with both murders and is currently serving a very, very long sentence and will never, ever get out of jail. So, good. There is that. How does this connect to the Lady of the Dunes? He did work in Provincetown. He also confessed to killing more women in Connecticut and Massachusetts. He admitted to a journalist that in 1974, he was vacationing in Cape Cod. Huh. And lured a woman into the dunes. Uh Uh-huh. He hit her on the head. Oh. Removed her clothes. Oh. Folded them. Placed them under her body. Then he said, quote, Then I took off her hands and (gasps) put them in her purse like a beach bag. I cut off a couple of her fingers and used them for fishing baits. Oh, my God. I buried her hands in a different place. I didn't bury her because I was making a statement. I don't know why I was doing it. Maybe if you were a trained psychologist, you could tell me. Oh, my God. What an asshole. Indeed. <laughs> wow, but that is so specific. Mm. That's like, I just want to ask him where he got the pine needles from. Well, I'm glad you actually said that. It was very specific. Because, and I'm not even the one that originally scullied this. <laughs> like, he said all these things. There's a reason that they... um aren't looking at him too hard for her murder. Oh. Because Clark compulsively confesses to crimes he had no involvement in. So does he already know that this girl's been missing and, like, what happened to her? And oh, yeah. So this he is took after he was... So I may, have, I may have been a little confusing in how I spoke earlier. He gave this interview after he was arrested. Right, right. No, I got that. But yeah. I just mean, like, I'm curious if he had access to other information about other crimes. Oh, every crime he's ever confessed to, this one included. None of the details he has ever given um, were things that were not already readily available in the newspapers or in any anything you pick up about so this could case. Have I mean, seen well, but think somewhere. about everything that he said. He talked about the bandana and the jeans. That was in all the newspapers. The That's in all the info. The hands. Now, you know, we don't know what happened to the hands. So anything he says about the hands. We can't prove one way or another. can't prove that it's right or wrong. No, that makes sense. And it's almost like he chose to speak about that because no one could find details about that. He goes into a lot of really random specific details about the hands 
Exactly. Because we can't <laughs> prove he didn't do that. Um, Dang. Now, again, it, it doesn't mean that he didn't. Uh, I would not be shocked that he killed other people. I, I honestly think it's kind of naive to think he only killed two people, given he was, like, drinking the blood of small children. Right. I feel like after you gave that detail, I was like, well, nothing's out of question yeah, at this it, point. Exactly. But he also, I mean, he he is quite mentally ill, and that's Obviously, not normally yes. something I look at, and I'm like, you know, that's not a, a reason why somebody kills, but... He, it's led him to confess to things that it sometimes makes it hard to pull the facts out from the fiction. Yeah, that's totally fair. So it's not compelling evidence. Evidence. Um, Evidence. So our next theory. Remember when I asked you to press save on that mob theory? Mob. Mafia mob. Yep. Another name thrown around is a former mob boss by the name of James Whitey Bulger. You familiar what with him? What a name. No, but oh, I really are you not familiar his with name. Him? I'm not. Oh, dude. Uh, it might have been because, like, both I lived on the East Coast for so long and, like, my ex was, uh, like, Boston through and through. Sure. So he used to talk about this guy all the time. Um. Whitey Bulger led the Winter Hill Gang in Massachusetts, which is okay. um, just northwest of Boston. And if you've seen the movie Black Mass, it's about him. Ah. <laughs> Johnny Depp stars as Whitey Bulger. Got it. Typecasting. Um, he was notorious. He was notorious and just a nasty guy. Real nasty guy. And he rose through the ranks and, and ran things for years. Um Before they could indict him in 1994, he was tipped off and he went to hiding. He would not be arrested until 2011. Dang. And in 2018, at the age of 89, he was beaten to death by another inmate in prison. And the world wept. Oh, so, like he was a horrible guy. He murdered at least 19 people. Like we're not even talking about the the drug dealing he was involved with, the money laundering, the extortion. Uh he was he was a cesspool of a human being. Sure. He killed a woman named Deborah Davis, the 26-year-old girlfriend of his right-hand man, Stephen Flemmy. After Flemmy admitted to her they were working as FBI informants. That's how he was able to get away with this shit for so long. He oh was working at the FBI. No, again, horrible. But also, FBI, if you're listening right now, shame on you. Shame. Like, seriously, he was allowed to get away with things because he was informing, and that's just gross. Yeah. Um, so he he strangled Deborah Davis to death in 1981, buried her body in a shallow grave near the river shore, and removed some of her teeth. Oof. Rings a little bit of a bell for how the Lady of the Dunes was killed. Yeah. Um, in the 70s, he used to hang out in Provincetown. This was before he was, like, leading anything, you know. Um, he used to hang out there a lot. There was talks that he would pick up men. He would pick up women. He would pick up men. That was kind of a big deal because, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, if you were a crime boss, you yeah. couldn't be gay or bisexual. Right. Um, what's weird? Okay. So there was witnesses who saw him around the town at the time of the murder. It's, people knew he hung out there. That was not that was not a secret. But one person who said she saw him in town was a writer by the name of Sandra Lee. Okay. I want you to take all of this with a grain of salt. Okay. Because she is on record as saying she found the Lady of the Dunes body before... It was found. Wait, what? In fact, in one interview she gave, now she would have been nine years old at this point. She said, I stumbled down an incline with my dog. The dog was ahead of me. My dog got excited about something. I heard a very strange noise. If you could imagine someone holding a string of pearls, I heard that sound. And then there was a horrible smell. At first, I attributed it to low tide. She was face down. Her hair was a mess, and I could see a gouge in the right side of her neck. 
Her arms were tucked down in the sand, so I didn't know anything was missing. I recognized the green blanket right away. The lower half of her body was covered with something. Now, she references the green blanket. The reason that's notable is that the the green blanket, she thinks, was... Um, it had the, the logo of a local hangout on it that Whitey was known to hang out in. Okay. And, I don't know, Lady of the Dunes, I guess, was his type. <laughs> so okay. she said that she ran off saying she was too afraid to tell anyone. <sighs> she later, she wrote, I think, like a fictionalized story or a book about the Lady of the Dunes. I it don't, almost seems like she wants attention a little bit about this. Like, I don't, I hate saying that about no, people, but I truly do. Like, I think it, it just sounds like an opportunity to capitalize on getting involved in a story with a long stretch. Well, and it's, it's hard. She had commented at one point that she figured that multiple people had probably stumbled across the body um, before it was reported and people were just too afraid to say anything. And it's, you know, I, I have that chunk of me that's like, I need to be careful about viewing a situation through a 2022 lens. Yeah. And that like maybe a, child in in early 1970s stumbling across a body i mean isn't that like the plot of stand by me i don't know that was like the 50s wasn't it but <laughs> but like i i don't know i i i struggle a little partially because elements of her story sound really really similar to what leslie metcalf said right when she found the body um but i but i don't know i don't know but also wasn't that also information that was easily accessible Oh, well, I mean, absolutely. At the time that she talked about this, I think it was the 90s. So, so yeah, she could have yeah. looked all that up. And at the point that I believe she gave this interview, Leslie Metcalf died, I believe, in 1996. Mm, that's interesting. So, but I, again, I don't know. <laughs> Um, and that's been kind of one of the things I will say is is a little bit of a frustration with this case is there is there was a lot of things that contradicted themselves. Yeah. And when you're dealing with an unsolved case as well, even an unsolved cold case, there are details that don't get released. There are right. stuff that that are being hung on to in the police file because they need that in order right. to potentially verify what somebody says one day. Right. So I wonder sometimes what we don't know. Um, but it, it did, this one was a little bit of a struggle to piece together certain specifics because there was a lot of things that, con and I could sometimes trace where the contradiction happened. I would find a newspaper article and I'm like, Ooh, see this miss said something, but other people are referencing it. And that's how it continues to, I mean, it's, it's very likely something I'm saying in here is perpetuating that it was, it, it, it was really, really hard to kind of pull this thing apart. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we've, we've digressed a little bit. Getting back to Whitey. Whitey. Uh, I don't know. I read a reference that he had size 10 shoes. <laughs> That's random. It's random. Um, I, I didn't really see anything else that verified that. I was in one article that said, you know, he had size 10 shoes, so it must have been him. The removal of teeth was something that, that he liked to do. Um... Uh, he used to do that for some of the people he killed. But again, that's also not something that's so uncommon. Uh, but uh, I, none of this is concrete evidence. It's evidence. an interesting theory. Evidence. Um, to me, I'd kind of buy this more than I would buy Haddon Clark. Yeah, I could see that. But let's talk about Kim's favorite theory. <laughs> Kim's favorite theory. I've been waiting all day for this. This one comes to us special from none other than Joe Hill. I was going to say, read it? <laughs> no. Do you know who Joe Hill is? I don't know who Joe Hill is. Joe Hill is an author. He writes horror. Ooh. Horns is one of his novels. As oh, is watch that Nosferatu movie. too, and the comic book series Lock and Key. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, yeah. He's Stephen King's son. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. No, he deliberately uses the last name Hill to kind of, like, make his own thing. Um, but he's got horror pedigree. And oh, honestly, yeah. I, I'm a fan of his work. I very much enjoy him as an author. He tells nice. a great ghost story. Love that. Mm -hmm. 
So he read the book Skeleton Crew, How Amateur Sleuths Are Solving America's Cold Cases, which is a book I myself used while researching the case. And he read it back in 2014 and did a little bit of a deep dive. Nice. And he realized something. A woman who he thought bore a resemblance to the sketches. A woman who would have been in Martha's Vineyard, which was only a few hours away, right around the same time as the murder. Well, look at that. A woman who was an extra in the movie Jaws. Shut up. Are you serious? I am 100% serious. That's wild. So... Jaws was filmed on the Cape in the summer of 1974. It is possible that this specific scene was filmed before she was murdered. And if you go to 54 minutes and two seconds in during the 4th of July crowd scene, you will see her. (gasps) What's Bonkers is that as soon as I started reading this theory, I actually knew exactly which extra he was talking about. Oh my god, really? Absolutely. She's very distinct. It's a woman with brownish red hair tied back in a bandana. She looks like she's in her mid to late 20s, fits the general height and weight of the murdered woman. She's wearing jeans, although I don't think they were whatever the brand jean was, but whatever. People have more than one pair of jeans. We will post a picture of her next to the still of the extra it's the bandana i i very vividly remembered the bandana it's also i like her eyebrows mm-hmm. and like the distance between the brow bone and the eyes mhm and the physical build yeah like yeah. athletic looking but like you could t- i think it's the the eyes and the eyebrows like that for me is what does it because i think everyone has different obviously facial structures too but when you're looking at distance between those structures, it's very telling. Like, you can see that that's very similar between those two people. Remembering, too, you can look at dozens of different renderings of what she looks like. And they're yeah. all, I mean, like, this is two, this is another one where every, all of them are a little bit different. But anyway. Makes sense. Well, that's, okay. look at that. That's interesting. So I realize I might just be seeing what I want to see. But I would absolutely buy it. Uh, Joe Hill actually told The Post, I've heard it said that everyone who was out on Cape Cod in the summer of 1974 appears in the movie Jaws. The possibility that a person would make a stop on the island and appear in the movie is not unreasonable. (laughs) He also mentioned that he told an FBI friend about this. And his friend said there might be something in it. Odder things have cracked colder cases. He's not wrong. (laughs) He's not wrong. (laughs) He's not wrong about that. Um, Sadly, there isn't great record keeping of all the extras. I mean, it was, again, as we've mentioned, one or two times the 70s. Uh, The casting director has also since passed. And even then, that's asking a lot for them to remember. Like, hey, do you remember that one extra in this massive film? Like, that's a lot to ask somebody, like, of a movie they made last year. Oh, absolutely. Well, extras in general. I mean, there's thousands of extras would have been in this film. Yeah. Um, But if anyone out there knows someone who worked as an extra on Jaws and recognizes this woman, please tell us. And then tell Joe Hill, because he'd be super stoked. What an email that would be, right? Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so, yes, this theory is kind of bonkers, but also I love it. I love it so much. Now, let me rephrase that. I don't love that someone was murdered. No. <laughs> I don't mean to make light of that, but the idea that her identity might be there on film is really something. Yeah. I think that Joe Hill, again, said it really well in that same interview with The Post. He said, two astonishing things happened on Cape Cod in the summer of 1974. One is that Steven Spielberg filmed Jaws. And the other is that someone murdered this woman in the dunes outside of Provincetown and got away with it. Anything that stirs people's memories could potentially be productive. Talking about it, even in a bizarre theory, brings attention to it. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, her body was last exhumed in May 6th of uh, 2013. 
I think they were hoping to give the DNA um, the genealogical treatment, comparing it to the databases. But like we mentioned earlier, the embalming can cause some issues there. And there's been no new credible leads, at least nothing that's been disclosed in a very, very long time. Uh, and that is the Lady of the Dunes. What do you think, Gabby? Any theories that feel more credible? Honestly, Any? I feel like there's not enough information. Yeah. Like, it's... I feel like it would be really easy to latch on to the dude, forgive me, I forgot his name, of uh, the guy who, like, wrote about finding this woman and killing her and hiding her hands oh, had, and putting had her... Oh, Clark? Yeah. Like, yeah. that one stood out to me, but I think, like... Could be scullied very easily. Like could it's be just, very easily. it. There's a lot of potentials, but I don't even feel like there's enough information to make a solid decision. Yeah. But I do think it's really interesting that <laughs> she could potentially be in Jaws. Uh, that's a wild story, um, and also really cool that 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 writer. I can't remember anybody's names right now, Joe but. Hill. That, Joe Hill, thank you, that um, <laughs> Joe Hill got involved in this because, to your point, like, he's got ties and visibility to a crime like this that's cold or unsolved. Like, it's anyone getting involved and looking more into it and pulling out details is helpful. And so just the fact that he expressed that type of interest and then was able to identify those things is just nuts. That's wild. No, it's, you know, it's funny. Again, this was a really frustrating case to look at because you feel like you're you're kind of retreading the same things over and over. It's mm -hmm. it's one of those, like, unsolved holy grails. Your your internet sleuths all have their own theories on the subject. Uh, but it's, no, I feel like we don't have enough evidence. 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 I agree. Well... Well done, Kim. Thank you. Fun top, not fun topic, but like interesting. <laughs> interesting. Interesting topic. And this brings us to... Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Kim, what you watching? Uh, so I started watching a show on Epics. Oh, I forgot that exists. <laughs> I, you know, they've done a couple, like, solid horror shows. I enjoyed Chapel Weight, which they did. Like, they do stuff that's, it's, like, solid is the only way I can kind of describe it. Um, it's not breaking any super new grounds, but it's interesting and, mm -hmm. and well done enough. Uh, it tends to be a little heavy-handed is what I'm finding. But I've been watching the show called From. I'm a couple episodes in, and it's kind of the same thing. Some of the writing is really heavy-handed. Some of the acting is really heavy-handed, but it's intriguing enough that I keep watching it. Uh -huh. And and there are, like, the the lead, some of the lead actors, the guy that plays Boyd Stevens, who's, like, the um, sheriff in the town. I really like him. And uh, the, the guy that plays the dad in it, I've seen in a couple other shows, and I enjoy him. Um, the premise of it is these people who are basically trapped in this small town Something is keeping them from being able to leave. They don't know what. And at night, these creatures that look like humans, that look like you, but creepy. Um, oh, thanks. I mean, like, look like, you know, they, no, they look it's off. it's a compliment. They look off. <laughs> yeah. They look like us. They look like people, but they look off. Uh, at night, when the sun goes down... They try to lure you outside to kill and consume you, basically. Oh, geez, that's creepy. And it's it's really creepy because it seems like they can take on the form of people you know. Ooh. Um, but it's I don't know. Yeah, it's it's very intriguing. And the the premise of it is you have these then these kind of this divide in this town between two different factions you've got the people mm -hmm. who live in the town 
um, who are kind of under the rule of this like sheriff slash mayor who wants to keep some order and is hoping to maybe find a way out. And then you have the people who are living in this big house and it's like this kind of free love colony where they're just like, whatever, we're living for today and living our best selves. And it's a little hippy dippy. Uh, and this this family who is going on vacation together and and somehow finds their way in this town, so now they're trapped. And um, uh, that's about like I'm 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 just finished episode three. Nice. So you know we're still we're still kind of learning everything, but I don't know. It's intriguing. I'm digging it. I'm entertained. Um, it's it's creepy and weird and mysterious enough, and that I'm I'm like all right, I'm I'm here for this. Um, so that that's been kind of fun. That and sounds then, like a good time. It's a good time. It's worth it's worth a watch. Again, their 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 shows have been really solid, um, dependable. Yeah. Uh, I also started watching. This is a much lighter note. This is not horror at all. This is the the teacher <gasps> side of me though loves it. It's a show called nice. Abbott Elementary. Oh, I've heard of it. I think it's, Terrence watched an episode once. It is delightful. Um, it's really really cute, and you've got this underfunded school, um, this public school. And, you know, you have your like younger teacher who's, who's super gung ho and optimistic. And then you have some of the like older established teachers who are cynical and kind of hard asses. And I uh, definitely might relate a little to that, that edge of things. (laughs) Just a smidge. Just a smidge. Uh, but no, it's just it's just really a lovely, delightful, sweet show and and has been a really nice find uh, and, and kind of a nice thing to sit down and just take an edge off. Nice. What it, you been watching? It looks good. I haven't seen it yet, but um, I've I'm finally back in Seattle and for now. And um, I wasn't really able to watch a lot of anything when I wasn't here. And then the mm. second I got back, I was like binge binge hard so i watched all of bridgerton season two. Oh, good lord <laughs> and the I, best i have not part, gotten there yet oh i did it in two days oh god <laughs> that sounds exhausting no but you know when you need to like just relax and turn your brain off for a while like sure. and just yeah rest I think my body needed that and I just turned the tv on and that's what I ended up watching so um but Terrence watched it with me and I think my favorite part about watching it first of all I I love some of the actors that are in I think they do a phenomenal job there's a lot of um it's just drama it's like drama on top of drama on top of drama that's just like it's like a car crash. Like, you don't want to look at it, but you can't look away. It's just ridiculous. Um, this season is less porny, right? So <laughs> what's funny about that is, like, there's little bits. But, yeah, it's definitely not quite as overt as season one, um, which could make some people happy and some people sad. It depends on the spectrum that you are on for that. Fair, um, fair. But it was, again, a very diverse cast, which I thought was fantastic. And... There's just, man, one of the characters' eyebrows are just so bad. They look like rainbows, <laughs> like comma rainbows, and I just want to fix them. Like, that's all I could look at whenever Fair. she was on screen. I was just like, why? Can I fix your eyebrows, please? Ma'am, <laughs> let's do something about this. Um, but it is, I think it, it's well-paced, I will say okay. that. I think the pacing of season one was was interesting, and I think a lot happened really fast, and it was tough to, like, pick up after that. So yeah. I think they learned from season one and just... Learned from their mistakes. <laughs> yeah, but they spread it out a little bit more evenly. And there were multitudes of storylines happening simultaneously this season, which I feel like certain people didn't get a lot of attention season one, and they did get it in season two, which is nice. Hmm. So... Okay. I liked it. I thought there were parts that could have been less dramatic, but what are we here for, really? You know, I mean, that's the thing with, you know what to expect. Romance novels. (laughs) Yeah, and I just, I love a period piece, man. You want to put people in corsets and fun outfits and pretty places? I'm I'm here for it. Like Costume porn. I love it. And I've been watching Outlander, speaking of which. So, like, I got caught up on that. I have one episode to watch there. I don't know how I feel about this season. Truthfully, I keep waiting for things to happen. And I'm like, when's it going to happen? But okay. Um, And then there is a show that I thought was notable. 
definitely falls into not as trash TV as 90 Day Fiance, but it's on Netflix. That is a low bar. (laughs) It's on Netflix. It is a baking show called Is It Cake? And oh, this keeps popping up on my feed. It's very funny. And the reason why it's very funny is because Mikey Day from SNL is the host. Mm. And he is such a freaking weirdo. And his humor is just so awkward <laughs> and really funny. And he just has a penchant for making people uncomfortable. And sure. so to put that together with a show where people have to guess, is this an actual object or is it a cake? Is sure. just blatant entertainment but there's also like quite a bit of talent in it so it's it's really cool to see the plethora of um talented bakers that are in the show that and the premise of it is really cool because for stuff like nailed it you get different people every episode but with this show it's the same people every episode so it's a season-long competition uh, which is very similar to like you know I don't know, any kind of design or baking or whatever kind of shows that are out there where they keep everybody on and then eliminate people. And at the end, you get some winners. Um, Same kind of concept, but it's a really interesting approach. And there's a bunch of different guests on as uh, judges, and no one knows what they're talking about. And it's very funny to watch. Um, But my friend Tiffany's husband is in it. Um, John Gabris, he's uh, one of the comedians that's on um there's a ton of different uh people in there that are very funny and great and it's worth a watch especially if like you just want to giggle but want to have your mind blown at the same time it's it's a good it's a good watch I think I actually think you would like it um it's definitely not as trashy as 90 day fiance so you know I enjoy Uh, a good baking show like I like cooking shows and baking shows it's like they had to make a cake that looked like a stack of like solo cups from like a party. Oh, crazy. Like some wild stuff. Yeah. And like one of my favorite parts though, is that Mikey Day's way to prove that it's not cake is by stabbing things. So he just walks ha. around looking like he's going to murder people and just stabs shit. And it's just the look of in his eyes of like, I do not care who I kill. Like it's very funny. Um, highly recommend. I thought it was All great. Right. All right. Good to know. Yeah. So having said that, thank you guys for listening. Um, We have some really cool stuff coming up. Um, I know that we mentioned it in the past, but we actually are going to be featured on Pacific Northwest True Crime Fest in October. Uh Um, And uh, that's going to be something that we'll be recording a live episode for in October. So stay tuned for that. Um, We also have some new things coming to Patreon. I know that anytime there's an update on topics that we cover, we will be recording a little ditty for our Patreon people to have a nice little listen to. So stay tuned for that as well. If you like what we do, hey, check out our Patreon. We've got some cool stuff on there. It is Ghoulish Tendencies podcast, as is everything else on social media. Our website is ghoulishtendencies.com. All of our social meds are on there too. And if you like what we do, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and rate and review us, please. We really appreciate it. Um, It's a great way to give us exposure and uh, just get other people listening to us. So that way you can you know, share the love with your friends. But having said that, thank you so much for listening and stay spooky. spooky.